Welcome to the Jay LaRock Show. I am your host, Jay LaRock. This podcast is powered by ObsoleteGamer.com and the Mascot Studios Podcast Network. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found, including Audible.com. We continue our video game series with an interview I did with Alex Aguila a few years ago. Alex is a co-founder of Alienware Computers, a company that revolutionized PC gaming, creating the elite gaming boutique market that is still popular today. Full disclosure, I worked at Alienware for over 10 years and I came to know Alex as not just a great businessman, but a lover of classic video games. I got to visit his home and see his impressive collections of classic video games, not only for PC but console as well, and I got to check out his awesome in-house arcade room. We began our conversation talking about his love of video games and if he considers himself more of a classic game aficionado. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a retro gamer and I'll do the modern games. I mean, I, I'm not totally living in a bubble or like an ostrich with my head in the sand. I mean, I, I'll play, you know, I'm playing Modern Warfare 2. I just finished playing Warcraft again for like the third time when I start up a character. Uh, but mostly if, if you come in to my house and you ask me what I'm playing, I'm, I'm playing a retro game of some sort, either something that I already played in the past that I want to reconnect with, or more than likely something that I didn't get to finish or didn't get to. You know, as an example, man, I'm a big fan of uh, computer role-playing games, and I'm playing through Baldur's Gate 2 right now because I never got a chance to finish it. You know, uh, it came out right when Alienware was starting to, to start and, and take off, and I just didn't really have the time, but now I just, I'm playing it right now. So, you know, uh, my friends kind of laugh at me and say, yeah, well, you only play games that are... You know, the game is now at least 10 years old. I don't ever see you playing it. But it, just, it works out that way. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, if no, it's a good not. game, it's it's timeless. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I agree and that's, with that. that's why if you look on even Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, there's they're bringing back all these old games. You see that they're racking up, you know, people downloading it. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, so, you showed me the, your collection, all the mm-hmm. games and stuff, and it was awesome. Uh, when did it actually start? When did you start collecting? Well, I went. I went on. I remember I went to go um, vacation in, uh, and I went to New York and I went to see my dad and I stayed at a cousin's house or something and I, I saw an Atari, you know, and I looked at it and I said, whoa, and it was like the coolest thing I had ever seen, and I just had to get one, you know, and I, I had to like I begged my mom, I, I begged my family members, I scrounged my money, you know, on birthdays and Christmas, whatever, and I finally ended up getting one in the very early eighties. And that really started it for me. I, I mean, I, I remember the first game I ever I ever bought and played, besides the combat game that came with the Atari, was Adventure. Man, what a game! I mean, I, I that game is so good and it's lasted so long that I still play it to this day. I my kids play Adventure. I mean, it's just an incredible game. Uh, so, like you said, a good game you can't put it down, and that's really what started me. I mean, just from the very first time that I got to, to buy a game was my. That's how I started my collection. So this is, you know, long before Alienware and everything. So, I, so like you said, it was hard to start that collection because you were using allowance money. I was 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, I had to scrounge quarters to be able. And and the real thing that competed actually, which is funny, you got a card back then. I mean, you played it into the ground because you weren't really going to get another card. It was very expensive. Even in today's dollars, it was very expensive. And you had to also maintain your arcade addiction going. Yeah. And you needed quarters, man. So, you know, yeah, okay, I skipped lunch, and I put, four, you know, a couple of four quarters in my pocket, and, you know, and I, and I you know, do errands or cut somebody's lawn, and, you know, that was going right into Defender. 
at the arcade, you know, that was going right into Dragon's Lair. I remember Dragon's Lair, oh. it was insane. <laughs> that was a quarter eater. <laughs> yeah, I, I put it this way, I, I played Dragon's Lair so much back in the day that I was able, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not making this up, I got witnesses, I was able to actually turn around and play the game and, without looking at it, just by sound cues. Wow. Yeah, now that's awesome. That was pretty cool. And I did the entire end sequence, I remember, to, with my back. With a, That was my big geek moment in the arcade, by the way. Everybody has this huge geek moment. My big geek moment was an entire crowd around me cheering as I played Dragon's Lair without even looking at it. That's how much, you know, that's a lot of quarters, man. And, and you know, I didn't, I didn't have any money and I had to work in the summers and that's where my addiction, that was my addiction. So now, have you ever done any like competitive gaming, like for like to for contests or or just for the bragging rights? You know, the only bra we we obviously everybody that's ever gamed is a competitive gamer on some level because you're you're you know you're playing against other people and when you're playing those type of games. So was it competitive? Sure. Look, as as an example, the current CEO of Alienware, Arthur Lewis, we were kids, we grew up together, and. Uh, we were playing. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know why I've chosen this story to tell. Since it doesn't end good for me, but this is a, this is this is even more competitive than you can imagine. We were playing a tech mobile, in a, a and we were in a hotel in, in Orlando. We were going to go to Disney World or something, and we're raising the stakes of the game. And basically, whoever lost had to get in their underwear, and go outside the hotel and walk around in their underwear. Oh man! So. I took the loss that time, and you know I was—I thought he was kidding around. I, I didn't think he was we were really going to go through with this, right? So I, you know, I'm in my underwear and whatever. Man, Arthur battles me and pushes me out the door and locks me out of there. I'll tell him. <laughs> I mean, and, and that is a competitive gaming. I don't know what competitive gaming is, but uh, that was that was pretty hardcore. So did I ever uh, go into a competition? Not really. I never had that opportunity. Did I compete a lot in games? Obviously, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. When we were out at. Um at E3, I got to speak to Arthur. He was telling me that you guys get together, and even uh, still today, you guys get together and and play football. Which I gotta say, that's awesome to get together and play a game like that. Yeah, well, Arthur Arthur owes me a technical uh, rematch that I'm still waiting for. You know, maybe he'll see this interview. <laughs> but he owes me one technical rematch. But we do play a lot of we've played a lot of Madden together and, and stuff like that. And it is a lot of fun. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this a little bit. See, we get something here. So since you guys have played, who's won more in in like your sports? Let's say just football. Who wins more? Well, no, Arthur. You know, just because of that story, Arthur's gonna say he owns me in Tecmo, and that's fine. But overall, I mean, if I was if I was to play Arthur today, he would have he would end up naked in the in the street. <laughs> that's, I'll leave I'll leave it at that because. You know, I don't know if he's kept up with it like I have the last 30 years. So that's why he hasn't. He doesn't come back to play. I don't know. I don't know. Arthur, Arthur's a pretty serious game, right? You know, I don't want to count him out at any at any moment. I mean, Arthur can roll out of bed and beat anybody in a video game, so uh, I'll give him props for that. Okay, so as far as Alienware, uh, the gaming aspect. Of course, you you got into Alienware because you love gaming. You want to have the the systems that play that game. Uh, but was it more towards the decide uh, where you want people to be able to play like the brand new games, classic games, or just your overall love of game that connected with computers since PCs were so big? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I'm, I'm going to give it like a two-part answer. My fir the first part is when we got when we started anywhere, Nelson Gonzalez called me up and, and, and started me on that journey, and he told me, hey, man, I got this idea, and I, and I joined him. Uh, it was really the Wild West back then. I mean, you could do some really crazy stuff. Not that you can't do it now, but whatever you can do now, you can do it exponentially back then. You could put multiple video cards and multiple sound cards and all sorts of setups, and you had to deal with DOS, and you had to deal with the, the Windows OS, and it was 
there was a lot of room for customization. So somebody that could really make a great machine and make it a hot rod for gaming, man, people would love you. And especially when we were doing uh, dual dual configurations where you can play your older DOS games. So even from the get-go, even though we had a focus on the fastest and greatest, because let's face it, the modern gamer wanted to play the fastest and the greatest. So we had to set up a computer. Man, we always put a DOS in there, and you could play your older games. And later on, this is the second part of that, later on, four, five, six years into Alienware, we were going full steam. We did a deal with Intellivision Lives, and Keith Robinson over at Intellivision Lives, where we got to to resell a lot of their games, which was awesome. And what really amazed me was, you know, everybody kind of thought it was a goofy, not everybody, but there's a lot of people thought it was a goofy idea. Like, man, who wants to play the older games? And when we put it up, and I knew it was gonna work, when we put it up there, man, it was it was incredible. It was a lot of attach rate, you know? It was a lot of attachments. So you see the modern gamer still wants to play classics. That, that really doesn't go away, because like what you said, a good game's a good game. Exactly. Obsolete Gamer, we're here talking with Alex Aguilar about his love of all things electronic gaming. So, of course, you know, the success with Alienware and all that, that allowed you to go out and do more in terms of uh, gaming collection. How did your life change as far as gaming and being able to do more uh, once you had, uh, you know, Alienware up and running? Well, I'll tell you what, I never stopped collecting video games. Um, obviously, when I was working Alienware, it took an enormous amount of my time. And the, the little bit of time that I did have to myself for many, many years, I had to devote to my family for obvious reasons. So there was a gap in there, especially in the first five or six years of Alienware, where I didn't do too much collecting. As far as having the resources to be able to collect more, believe it or not, it's, it's still difficult. Because if, if you've built up a collection over 20, 30 years, even when you had no money, and you've built up a lot of titles, the stuff that you're missing is pretty rare to begin with. And no matter how much money you have, or how much money you can devote to that, or how many resources, it might not be that easy to, to find. So how did it change? Well, you know what? Right now it's just giving me, now after it's all over, and, and you know, my association with Alienware is not nearly as intense as it, as it used to be. Uh, now I have more time to play the game. So in that sense, yeah, I've got a lot more time now to play the games that, I, that I've missed out on. Uh, as far as where my collection, the arcade that you saw out there, you know, that's that took that takes resources to be able to put those machines together and whatnot. So I would say probably with the big modern arcade machines, it changed. But my core collection that you see with consoles, it's just it's just built on itself. And it would have kept building with, with or without anyone. Now, you showed us like all the stuff you have from the 80s and the 90s. And you were talking about how when you got to like the Super Nintendo around the 90s, that the collection kind of slowed down because it was the... The boom of PC gaming. Can you tell us a little bit, a bit about you know your sure. choosing to go over PC and then console? right. Well, here's what happened. I, I always had a personal computer. Commodore 64, like like I mentioned before, is one of my favorite all-time systems. I think that is just if if I was on a deserted island and I can only pick one system, enclosed system, because the PC would rule, would, would just beat everything. But non-PC, you know, I I probably go with the Commodore 64. I'd have to, or maybe an Amiga. Probably the Commodore 64. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I had I had a, a, a machine, so I had that great love for that machine, and I still had a love for consoles. Uh, and when Super Nintendo came out, I had more of a love affair with Donkey Kong Country, which I think to this day is the greatest scroller ever made. Um, even probably better than Pitfall, which Pitfall was one of my favorite really hard songs ever. Um, and I love that game, but it came out in an era when it was like unbelievable games coming out for the PC. The CD-ROM, I know this is hard to believe maybe to some of your listeners, but the CD-ROM wasn't even around. 
and now the CD-ROMs around, and that opened up this entire area of gaming, and all these cool games were coming out. The Star Wars titles and the flight simulators were better than ever, and the great computer role-playing games that came out. You know, there wasn't a lot of time for me to focus on the console. And since I didn't focus on the console, well, you know what? It gave me a chance to build up my PC collection, which now, 20 years later, is my retro PC collection. Exactly. You know, so that, I'm the type of guy that doesn't throw away. I've never thrown away a box. It kills me to throw the box of a game away. So, like I said, this is a collection that's been built up little by little over many, many years. And, you know, even though a lot of people talk about the 80s, it looks like maybe the 90s could even be considered the golden age of gaming because you had the PC gaming and then you had the console gaming both being really strong at the same time. Like, would you agree with that? That's a, that's a really good uh, observation, and I would have to agree with that. Some of the greatest PC games ever made, even to this day, came out in the 90s. Uh, I mean, just amazing, amazing franchises that are still going to this day. Uh, and, you know, this decade is just finishing, so we'll take a step back maybe 10 years from now and look and see how, how, they, how it holds up. Because at the end of the day, it's how those games hold up. You know, I still, I long, I'm a big fan of DOSBox, man, because I want to play my old DOS games. I mean, they're great. And, and they've aged very well, in my opinion. And the thing about uh, you know the older games also is like when you were showing uh, me some of the boxes that they would do things like really great box art. Uh, you'd have you know maps and all types of things like that. It's really well done. That you know you don't really see today. A lot of things is uniform, just a simple little manual. Right. And it's cool that stuff like that. You know, I, I it's funny because we were just talking we were talking about that and I thought about this and I didn't say it. I think that had to do. First of all, you had, you had guys who had unbelievable vision, even to this day, like Richard Garriott, Lord British. Right. I mean, Lord British was just on another level completely. I mean, you, if, if you remember the Ultima IV uh, box, I mean, I just showed it to you. It came with like a, 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 an ank, a metal ank. It came with a cloth map. It came with this amazing book that was more of a, you know, just an incredible storybook. So there was a lot of emphasis put on that. So some great game designers like Garriott went ahead and did that to their games. Uh, also, I think it had to do, outside of that, what I just mentioned, it, it also had to do, I think, with the graphics weren't really that amazing. So a way to kind of close the gap with the limitations that a machine afforded you was to show more stuff in the box. So a manual was really important back then. I mean, you'd have to really, to, to maybe fill all the holes of the story that you were going to experience on the machine itself, you needed to read that manual. So I think it had to do, one, with the vision of guys like Garriott, and two, hey man, you had to do a lot more than just the graphics on the screen to give that game or that connection. And you know what though? It worked perfectly. It worked very well. And that's true. And that's another thing maybe not a lot of people realize. I was even thinking about that while you were saying that, um, what you were saying before, you didn't have the internet and these places to go and get instant access. So back then, a manual was really important. People today would just pick up a game and start playing and they know, oh, if I need something, I go on a website and look it up. But back then, that's all you had is what was in the box. Yeah, you know, it's funny, and, I, and I, if you don't mind me relating the story of how that came up earlier in our conversation, there's a game, a little-known game called Star Crusader, which I'm a huge fan of. And I, I hope some of the people listening to this interview kind of look it up and, and kind of connect with it, because that's just one of the coolest games ever, and nobody ever talks about it. And Star Crusader was a really cool space opera type game. And... In the game, there was a real moral decision. I don't want to give anything away for anybody that maybe wants to replay it one day. But in a real, it had a real moral decision in the game that really affected the rest of the game and how the game ended. And I remember finishing that game and me making a certain decision there in the middle and finishing that game and thinking, wow, that game was amazing. And talking to somebody else that had finished the game 
and they were talking about a whole different ending. And I'm like, well, what happened there? And you got like you said, this is before you could get on the, on Google something and find everything out in two seconds. Mm -hmm. You know, like like you mentioned before, you had to call a one eight hundred number for hints if you needed hints in a video game back then, which is sounds archaic, but it's the way it was. And and I realized that that big decision in the middle of the game actually affected the rest of the game. And that's the first time that I ever made it. Well, outside of maybe some of the Ultima series stuff, where I made a, a decision that really affected the ending of the game, and that was amazing. And I couldn't find, I didn't really find that out until I talked to somebody else that played the game. Exactly. <laughs> Obsolete Gamer talking with Alex Aguilar for, with his love of all things electronic gaming. Now, with Alienware and all the success that you've had, and, and then mixed in with gaming, were you able to? Uh, reach out and maybe see or talk to people who are in the industry that you were a fan of that, you know, maybe it would have been harder to if, if not. Like, do you have any stories of meeting someone that you always wanted to meet that made a game or something? Well, I sat at a round table. I was fortunate and, and uh, enough to be invited to Michael Dull's uh, house and sit at a round table with other game developers. And I really, I got to meet everybody there. I, mean, I got to meet Gabe Newell and I, um, Gary, and I, I, you know, I just met some incredible uh, designers and I was just really amazed and I don't think I've ever obviously would never have gotten that opportunity unless I would have had uh, the association with, that I did with Alienware and the great success that we all had because I mean Alienware you know the story well Jay I mean Alienware was a huge massive collective effort I mean it really wasn't any one person or any two people uh, or any hundred people really, for that matter it was a, a huge massive effort and if it wasn't for that huge massive effort by a lot of great people yeah I probably never would have had the opportunity to meet some of those designers, you know, that's that's pretty cool, and it was really neat going to E3, and to give you an example of that, um, Homeworld, I remember when Homeworld came out, I mean, Homeworld is a pretty cool revolutionary game, I mean, just visually stunning, just great gameplay, and I remember being on the floor at E3, and meeting Alex Garden, the creator of the game, for the first time, I mean, it was like the first time he had been to an E3 showing off a game, nobody knew who he was, nobody knew anything about Homeworld, it wasn't, it wasn't really played up till after. And, you know, I got those really cool experiences where I got to talk to, like, a world-class designer even before... I mean, I'm sure he doesn't remember me now, but it was a really neat experience. So I got to experience stuff like that that otherwise I probably would never have gotten to do. Now, you, show, you showed us all, of course, all the boxes and the games that you have and the original collection. That's awesome. But you're also really big into emulators. Can you tell us about how you got started with that? Well, emulation is a, um, is a really neat way to keep the, the past alive and be able to explore things that otherwise you can't no longer go back and explore. As a perfect example, I own a lot of games that I either have not finished or have not been able to explore. And if I were to try to load those games up, first of all, some of them are on media that you can't even use. And you know, you get the five and a quarter disc floppies and you have the 3.5 diskettes and media you can't even use in a, in a modern computer right now. But through emulation, uh, like DOSBox, let's say, you can make those old DOS games run again. And it's really, really cool. That you know, guys have come forward and created emulators and, and spent their time and their passion, and to be able to give the gaming community something as cool as that, and uh, you know, the same thing goes really for any system and, and any computer system. If you go on the web and you do your exploration, um, there's an emulator for it. I mean, there's there's a lot of sticky points there with pirating and things that are legal and illegal, and I'm gonna I'm, I'll leave that up to the, to the individual to make his own decisions. I have such a vast collection that I rarely have time to explore anything out of it. Right. right. You know, I've collected to the point where I haven't gotten to play everything that I've collected. So I, I do that, and if I get a chance to go, let's say on vacation or I got some free time, and I can't take a console with me, or I can't take, you know, a specific DOS machine or something, 
you know, I can take my laptop and really pretty much play anything I have in my collection through emulation, which I think is the coolest thing in the world. And you also sold us uh, some of the clone machines, like the the portable handheld system where you can play the original uh, cart for Genesis, yeah. and then the other system that you can hook up to a TV and it plays NES, Super NES, and Genesis game all in one. I mean, those are pretty cool. Yeah, I, I love clone systems, and I, I'm just fascinated by the by the fact that you can buy a new system, perfectly legal, buy a new system, uh, and just play your old cartridges on it. I mean, that's just the coolest thing in the world to me. Now they haven't they haven't really made some for all the consoles, but as an example, the Retron Three, and you can look it up on the web and you can see reviews on it now and all that good stuff. And there's positives and negatives, but the Retron Three lets you play Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, and Nintendo on one machine, and it's pretty rock solid. The controllers it comes with are crap, but you can actually plug in your original controllers to the machine. So I just I'm fascinated by the fact that maybe you don't have to mess around with the old hardware and get it working and you know bang it on the side or open it up and clean it and do all that stuff and you can just use a, a, a clone machine that might give you the same game experience now I want to also tell you that I love the original systems oh yeah I, yeah. I put a lot of work into making those things live again it kills me to know that one died you know um, I'm, I'm a real purist when it comes to that but I can also really really I'm, I'm kind of unique in that because you'll see a lot of camps that are only purists and they don't want anything cloned and then guys who are just cloned they don't want to mess around with the, with the old stuff I'm actually in the middle. I love them both. I think they, they both fit a perfect niche in the collecting market. And I know you're also talking about, in, in reference to the originals, is that there are companies out there that allow you to hook uh, like an older Atari 2600 even up to an HD TV. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, you know, you could do that. Uh, Atari Age is a great resource. I mean, that's probably the greatest Atari website. Um, I, I don't mind plugging them. The, the guys who run it are great. Um, and if you go on there, not only do they have the adapters, you can actually buy one of those adapters at even, even Radio Shack. And they have these little adapters where you can just kind of put it in uh, your RCA and just put it into your own television. So it's pretty easy to get. But what they have, which is really neat, or, or Atari H has specifically, is something called the Stella adapter. And I just reached over for one. Uh, the Stella adapter is a really neat device. You notice, you see how it has the USB connection? Yes. And you can plug in an Atari joystick and play on your computer with an Atari joystick. And it will recognize it like a Windows joystick. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. And what's really cool is I can do all my Commodore stuff like that, too. Because Commodore, as you know, had the Atari joystick or a similar type of joystick. So that's really neat. You can you even, even works with the panels. So now... They make that for the Super Nintendo, and they make that for the Nintendo also. So you can actually use, that's the ultimate, use your original controllers with your emulated stuff on your computer. See, that, that's cool. And, and that's, that's why I want to move into the last point, is about the culture and the people behind gaming. I mean, one of the reasons why we, we started Obsolete Gamer is because we wanted to you know, celebrate all this classic gaming, but we also want to talk about the cool stuff behind the scenes that maybe a lot of people don't talk about. And there's a lot of people out there that are, that are really dedicated. Like, for instance, you showed us a te Technobowl, and you're showing us how they even can update the stats yeah. so that you can play with, yeah. with people like that. Uh, are there other, like, favorite communities or, or people out there that are, you know, holding the torch for classic gaming? You know, I could sit here and talk an hour about that. It's, it's really amazing. I run into different sets and groups of people uh, almost every day. It's just pretty amazing. People that have dedicated themselves to for you to be able to play the Ultima series on your modern computer. It's wild. I mean, you can you, you wouldn't believe it, the, the resources and the, and the creativity that's gone into that. Uh, you have people like you mentioned in the Tech Mobile. I mean, Tech Mobile is a classic Nintendo game. 
they're in Techno Super Bowl also, and they have people now that, that work on the ROMs and they actually update the stats and you can play with the modern teams, which is really neat. And you think you can only do it through emulation, but the truth is that you can either do it yourself if you do your research or you can get a service to do it. You can actually put that new ROM in an old uh, cartridge and go ahead and play it on your original Nintendo. And I just showed you Tony Romo fading back to throw a bomb that's in a Nintendo. I mean, that's pretty wild, and and, and that's the kind of, that kind of cool stuff that you see. You see, you go to the you go to uh, Zork. Zork was an amazing, amazing interactive fiction, which is the Zork series is in Commodore sixty four, the old Infocom games. There's a massive community that still meets the games. You can go and get new adventures. The 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 famous adventure games that Lucas Arts made famous, like the Dig and Full Throttle, which is the ones that most people will remember, but also the Sierra, the, the Williams uh, the designer for Sierra who did all those great adventure games. You can still go online right now and get new ones that just came out. People are still creating Atari 2600 games that you can buy at Atari age that just were made a year ago. So it's unbelievable. And then every single group, uh, every single console has a community like that. They still make new Nintendo games. They make new Sega games. They make new Intellivision games. They make new ColecoVision games. They make new Atari games. They make new adventure games. So it's if you want to explore that, it's so vast, the landscape, that it's just a cool thing in itself. And, and maybe that's what, maybe somebody will look back 10, 20 years and say, this is a golden age because not only do you have incredible new games out for PCs, Xbox, stuff like that, but then if you want, you can go play these old games, whether it's through emulators, through clones, or through the original, all at the same time. So you get a little bit of everything if you if you so choose to. Yeah, it's gaming nirvana. I mean, forget it. I mean, it, you know, you, we talked about sensory overload a little while ago and, and maybe younger kids experiencing sensory overload. I'll be honest, sometimes I get a little bit overloaded and I'm like, wow, what am I going to play next? Because I have the ability to really explore any system, anytime, anywhere in history. And where the console stuff, maybe you can just pick up and play for the day. You know, some of the other stuff is pretty involved. And I think it's the greatest time that I've ever seen for gaming, because you can do it all. Well, the collection you have and everything is great. I mean, that's that's what I was saying before, is that, you know, you know that someone's truly into something. You know, they take the time from the very little systems to the hard-to-find systems, and just everything in between. And it doesn't really matter if it was console or PC, it's it's all about gaming. That's That was the most important part for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, gaming is is great in all its forms. It's a, it's an art form. It's a form of expression. It's a, it's a way to explore new worlds. Uh, like I said, if if I go through my collection and we talk about my collection, I could probably give you a story of every single game that I loved and you know what I did in the game and what my characters did. And it's just it's a really really cool hobby, and it's it's a healthy hobby and it's a lot of fun. Alex Agatha true collector, true fan of all things gaming. Thank you very much for talking with us. Thank you, Jay. It's been a pleasure, man. Now, I do want to apologize for the audio. Uh, at that time, my on-site audio equipment wasn't that good. I just actually had one of those old-school handheld pocket digital recorders. Um, but since then, we have upgraded. So once this whole COVID situation is done... We're definitely going to be out there trying to get more in-person, on-site interviews with all types of fascinating people because that is one of our main goals here. And if there's someone that you feel would be an interesting guest on our show, just hit me up on Twitter at J-A-L-A-R-A-Q-U-E. 
and let us know who you think would be a good guest and we'll try our best to get him on. But until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>